Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. He'll get you the sports any way that he can. It's Mike All right, we come to you on this Monday evening. Take your right up until 7 o'clock. Brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, as always. Brought to you by those who drink it on what has been a absolutely beautiful Monday. I mean, you couldn't have a nicer day. It's going to get a little warmer tomorrow, but today was one of those, you know, perfect days where it was just the sun was hot, but the uh, sky was clear and there was uh, very little humidity. A beautiful, beautiful uh, day today. Um, And you know what? Hey, that's what June is for. It's for beautiful days like this. No matter what uh, is going on, New York City began its uh, first step forward today. It's got a lot of steps to take, obviously. Uh, And everything else is moving along at a uh, glacier pace here uh, in sports, as you know. Because, you know, I've made this point a couple times. The leagues that are ready to come back are not coming back for another Almost seven weeks. You know, they're not coming back for a long time. They haven't even gotten any really serious work in yet. They're a long way uh, from uh, coming back. They're a long way from even getting back to action in any real way, uh, little by little. Uh, for Met fans today, there is a story of a, uh, a new player, and this is a legitimate player uh, because uh, Harris Blitzer owns, you know, owns uh, franchises. They own basketball and hockey teams. They have plenty of money, okay? They even are involved in uh, soccer over in England. So these guys, they they come from, obviously, uh, these are Wall Street types. They have plenty of money. Uh, Wall Street's where the money is. Wall Street's where the new ownership in sports is going to come from most of the time. It's going to come from guys who are... Uh, that doesn't mean they have to be on Wall Street physically. It means that they are participating in that game. They're going to come from having made their fortunes, most likely in stocks uh, or in the uh, area of, of world finance. And um, that's what you had with Steve Cohn. Uh, and he went away. There's been a lot of little talk about him getting back involved. Who knows if he will. Um, and now... 
you have you had the A-Rod J-Lo flirtation, which I never took uh, seriously. Again, I don't take athletes seriously in this regard because they're just not in the same league financially. And then you got these guys, and this was a Bloomberg report, and Bloomberg's all over these financial things. And uh, uh, clearly, Harris Blitzer have the ability, if they want to get involved, they can get involved on this deal. They, ha- they clearly have the resources to get involved if that's, you know, they have uh, involvement with the Sixers, with the Devils, uh, with. Um, E-franchises, well, a lot of people have E-franchises. And then they also are involved with uh, soccer teams, a soccer team over in England. So uh, they're already involved in a big way, and now they're going to at least kick the tires on the Mets as all this. Uh, I would think the Met franchise did not move much in value. There had been a thought that it would have to go down. In price. I don't know if that's the case. I, I, I wouldn't make it the case. If I was going to sell my home... During this year, I would either sell it at the price that I've wanted to sell it for before this happened, or I wouldn't sell it. So if you put something up for sale, it doesn't mean you're going to cave on price. It means that if somebody hits your price, you're willing to sell it. Otherwise, you sit and wait. And you say, I'll wait for another day. That's all. Now, you know, there are sellers and then there are motivated sellers. There are sellers and then there are desperate sellers. So I would not put the Mets in the classification of desperate sellers. There are a lot of teams, though, that are getting antsy because the way they are structured, they get very cash poor very quickly. They're set up that way. They need to churn. They need to have revenue coming in. And right now, they don't have the revenue coming in. So it puts a strain on the organizations, especially when they feed a lot of mouths. And a lot of these organizations do. And a lot of them have a lot of payments that have to be made and different you know, responsibilities that they have to make financially. And if they don't have any revenue coming in, it sometimes puts a strain on organizations that – are clearly solvent. No one's saying they're not. You can be very well off and be cash poor, especially when you have set your business up for it always to be able to produce revenues along through the given year. When you shut the sport down, it changes everything. All the revenue streams are stopped. Revenue streams that you're very used to, that you count on, are stopped. It changes things dramatically. As far as baseball... You're going to hear these gestures back and forth. You heard the 76-game plan that was quickly uh, quickly rejected because there was no changes in it. It was still the same deal. Somebody is going to have to come up with baseball on both sides. Somebody is going to have to come up with an outside-the-box one-year plan that both sides – understand, insulates them from this being a factor in what next year was about because next year they were going to look to make a big deal and they do not want to damage the future when they're looking at a 10-year span. They don't want to do anything that would impact that. They would rather shut it down than do that and take their hit with the fans. See, They'll pay lip service that they scare, that you scare them, but you don't. 
in their heart of hearts, they believe they got you. They believe you'll come back. I don't believe this time you'll come back as fast. I don't think you would have come back as fast when they canceled the World Series. I think they got very lucky. I saw a lot of anger out of the fans at that time. I saw a lot of disinterest out of the fans at that time. And frankly, if it had not been a completely, really produced home run race and home run confrontation from uh, heaven that just captivated everybody, they would have taken a very long time to come back. So I don't believe that they fear your backlash. Don't believe they do. I think they'll pay lip service to it, but I don't believe, I don't believe they fear it. I do think they fear each other, and they fear the repercussions of each other. And I think they both will pay lip service to the responsibility of the sport, the standing of the sport in the community, and the fans, but I don't think they care about any of that. I think they care about money. And they care about where they set the economic parameters for their game for the next 10 years. A couple of things. I heard a thing that uh, Joe and Evan did for a couple minutes with Faye and, uh, they replayed with uh, Faye and uh, F.A. Vincent. He made a comment about a lot of things. And Faye still comes up with some interesting stuff, although some of it's a little, a little from a different era. But he made the point that Rose is going to have to be treated differently because of the way gambling is a big part of the sport now. I don't believe that one has anything to do with the other. But I do think this. There is no reason that if baseball uses its noggin again, that they can't do something that the fans would like that is very safe. Get Pete, who's getting older, and say, Pete, we want to give you your day in Cooperstown. But here's the deal. Very quietly, we're not going to talk about suspensions. We're not going to talk about jobs in baseball. We're not going to talk about any of that. What you're going to do is you're going to sign a release which states, and a uh, piece of paper that states uh, that you waive you know, any ability or any uh, rights to work in Major League Baseball, though you're no one going within basically, you know, five football fields of a stadium. And if you do that, we'll let you have your day. And that's it. No employment. You cannot seek employment inside the sport. And I don't think, listen, teams will do that because he'll fill stadiums. That's why they'll want him in ballparks because he'll sell, he'll sell, he'll fill stadiums. So they'll want to use them that way. You can even do that. You can have a day for him in Cincinnati, which will sell out the building. You can have a day for him in a couple of places where it'll probably – you could have a day for him in Philadelphia, which might sell out the building. You can have a day for him in three or four places. That's fine. Just he cannot take a job in minor league or major league baseball. That's all. Not a full-time job. Can't be around the players. He's not allowed on an active baseball field. Case closed. Let him have his day. Let him have his day in the sun. You know he still gambles. Heck, you're doing business with gamblers now. Gambling is going to be one of your major revenue streams in the years to come. So you can't act like you're somehow Pollyanna about gambling anymore. Those days are gone. 
but they fear that Rose could be an issue. So this way, he helps you from a standpoint of selling tickets down the road, and you make a lot of fans happy because a lot of them have felt, and let's be honest, the Hall of Fame is really, as much as it's a building upstate, the Hall of Fame is in the hearts and minds of baseball fans. That's where it lives. And we know who Hall of Famers are and who they aren't. And Pete Rose is a Hall of Famer. In all our hearts and minds, he's in the Hall of Fame anyway. And they have artifacts of him in the Hall of Fame, which is almost comical. So put him in. You want to mention it on the plaque? Maybe you can make an agreement. Maybe you can nice and not mention it on the plaque. I don't think it's necessary to mention it on the plaque. But you can give him that as long as you keep him far away from the sport, which I think he can easily do at this stage of his life without any question. Um, Shaq made an interesting point. Sometimes, you know, he makes a lot of goofy points, but he made an interesting point about the Saints not letting what's going on with Breeze divide the team, especially a good team that has a chance to be a Super Bowl team. I think that's a good point. I think that could be an issue on that team this year. And I think there could be some issues on some teams this year. If it, it, It's possible. It looks now like the sport is all on one page, but you don't know if it really is. And you wonder if that will create any fissures, any problems down the line for teams. You have to wait and see. But uh, he's right. That's something you do have to watch, especially with a team that you're trying to make a run with and one of your key players late in his career trying to win one more uh, championship. We'll open up the phone lines early tonight, get what's on your mind, whatever you want to talk about, uh, whatever it is. If it's uh, the Mets and whether they've found a new owner, which, again, this is only stage one. Uh, anything to do with Rose, anything to do with uh, the, that last baseball plan. Um, I see Dalvin Cook's going to hold out. Hey, when a guy has the success he's had early, also had the injury he had early and didn't make his money yet, you know that's going to happen. As far as uh, the two switch hitters today on this uh, June 8th, for Bernie, it was 1996. Good year for him. Um, Three for five, two runs scored, three RBIs. He hit two homers. Homers nine and ten. And at this point, it was 10-42. Mickey, it was 1960, which was a year that he won the home run crown but lost the MVP by one vote to Roger. Roger hit 39 homers, had more RBIs. Mickey had 40 home runs, had fewer RBIs, uh, and won the home run crown. By, uh, uh, Roger won the MVP by one vote. The Yankees were struggling early in 60. They were only 24 and 21 at this point in the season. Mickey went two for four, also hit two home runs, also hit his ninth and 10th home runs, but only had 22 RBIs, while Bernie had 42 RBIs on the same date. So he wasn't off to a big RBI start, and he did not have a big RBI year, despite the fact he hit 40 home runs. Did not have a, one of his big RBI years. It was low, considering he hit 40 home runs to lead the league. Um, and it cost him an MVP. 
But again, remember, he won three and could have won another five. That's how close he was on that many times. He finished within an eyelash. But that's what happened when you have that kind of dominant player during those years uh, in the American League. And Maris, remember, beat him for the MVP in 60 and 61. Mickey came back and won it in 62 after winning it uh, twice in the 50s uh, and won three of them. I thought he should have won it in 64. He got beat by Brooks Robinson. Like I said, he had a lot of close uh, votes for the Hall of Fame. So that's where we are. We'll get everything rolling. Brought to you again by Casamigo Tequila on this uh, beautiful June 8th right after this. All right, we're back on this uh, Monday evening. Take you right up until 7 o'clock. JJ, come your way at uh, that time. Uh, obviously, uh, again, whenever there starts to be any flirtation with the Mets, Mets fans get excited about that. Um, these guys are legitimate. You know, that's the first thing you want to know about. Is it a legitimate uh, bid? These guys have the wherewithal. They do. Um, Bloomberg stories uh, understand the financial part very, very well. So if they report it as being, uh, you know, guys who, they, they, when they tell you the guys are legit, they are. These guys clearly are. Uh, now, what their interest is, I have no idea. We'll find out in the uh, weeks and days to come. You know, there's been a lot of thought that with this year the way it is, especially where it might be shutdown year, it might be a year where there's going to be a lot of losses. Clearly, there's going to be a reevaluating of franchises in the short term, not in the long term. You know, one bad year is not going to destroy a franchise. You know, if you've got a franchise that's worth $3 billion and you have a bad year, so, yeah, so be it. It happens. I mean, it's not going to be, uh, you know, it's, it, it is not going to be a, a big deal in the long run. It really isn't. So, I mean, you take a short-term hit. Now, the one thing is, though, is that, as I stated before, a lot of these franchises, not just the ones that you think struggle to keep up with the big guys, even the big guys, they can be cash poor. They can be short, short-term revenue, short-term funds, because they're not set up that way. They expect the money to come in at certain dates from certain entities, broadcast entities, television, radio, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, go down the line. You know, you're into June. They say by June work, you know, we're killing it. We got money coming in every day, every single. Well, now you're into this many months. You've outlaid cash. You've paid other workers. You've paid players some money. You've paid minor leaguers some money. You've had expenses in a lot of areas, and you haven't had any revenue. I don't know yet. It depends what how, how deals are structured as to how partners pay teams and don't pay teams. That's very much goes very much contract to contract. So uh, in some places, remember, baseball teams are a little different. They make money. There's a portion of the money that is very different from team to team. And it deals with their place in the marketplace. And you have some teams that have very, you know, incredible revenue streams in their marketplace, like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, go down the list. Uh, And you have teams that have minuscule, Tampa Bay, Seattle, you know, go down the list, where you're in different cities and the revenue streams. But they they have learned to live and, and in a lot of places thrive 
with those conditions. So, but there are different pressures here. And selling teams in this climate, it's tricky. But remember, these guys who sell these teams and package these teams and make these deals are very good at doing this. They're specialists at doing it. And they do it looking at the long term. They don't do it looking at a year-to-year basis. They look at it as assets that are assets you're going to see appreciate and change fortunes over decades, not over weeks and months, over decades. All right, let's get some calls in here. Uh, Jason in Great Neck, what's up, Jason? Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, what's going on? What's uh, happening? Given, given Roger, Del, uh, Roger Goodell's comments the other day, do you think he would somehow align or uh, somehow integrate the Black Lives Matter organization with the NFL, or do you think that would be just too controversial? Given some of the, you know, explain to me what you mean aligned. Like I'm sure they have, uh, you know, like uh, police departments that they they have, you know, like just some organizations that that they, that they promote. Do you think that they would, you know, promote the Black Lives Matter organization as a whole, or do you think that? No, would I, I think this has more to do with. I think this has more to do with how they deal with the outspoken nature of their... I think it has to do with two things. How they deal with the outspoken nature of their players. How they react to what their players do, both in terms of their uh, statements and actions, and also what the teams inside the league can do. It's really a twofold approach. What do the teams do in each individual city to make things better? And also, then, what can the league do using the entire resources of the NFL to make things better? And I think that's the idea. Um, do I think that they are going to be involved very heavily in one organization versus another? No, I don't think, that, I don't think that's the case. I think it's a case of, of trying to come to an understanding with their players, I think that's what this is more about than anything else is, you know, there was a split with the NFL and the players over how they protest, what the, how they chose to protest, how, you know, how the protest was going to manifest itself, that kind of stuff. And I think that's what he's talking about is having a better relationship with the players in that regard and being very much more not only tolerant but understanding and actually – getting behind some of that stuff where the NFL, it looks like, rather than try and say, we'd rather you don't do this, sounds like the NFL is going to say now, we're involved, we're going to get involved with it. But that doesn't mean, and thanks for the call, that they're going to be involved with any specific group. I, I, don't, I didn't get that. You know? But again, we'll wait to see what the NFL's actions are. I'm not sure what their actions are yet. You know, what we saw was the Goodell statement, We'll see what the actions are. You know what he what the what he intends to do. They're going down the line. We'll wait and see. Matt Manhattan, what's up, Matt? Yeah. Now I, I thought of a way in which I think a, sh- a very short baseball season, like if they were only to do sixty games, th- there's a way to make it. I think fascinating, and that is um, this is a crazy idea. Take take both leagues, or take each half of the country and divide it up geographically. Play the games. And then just have before listen, listen, don't worry about what happens on the field. Tell me how the players get paid. With sixty games? 
No, just tell me how. Yeah, how do they get paid? They would have to prorate it. And they get paid full for the sixty games on a prorated basis. But I mean, what? And 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 and, and how long are the playoffs? Remember, the owners want owners want longer. Play- see, but see, but you see, but you're, you're what you're coming up with is an idea of I want to play this. This is what I want to happen on the field. On the field for them is the easy part. The hard part is the economics. The easy part for them is what happens on the field. That's not the hard part for them. You know, the the, the easy part, the the hard part is the economics. I think that if you had that short of a season without any players, well, the, 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 the players don't want a season that the players don't want a sixty-game season. They've already stated they don't want a sixty-game. See, the short season helps the owners. The long season helps the players. You understand that? But from a, I'm just saying from a fan perspective, can you imagine a season where every single baseball game mattered? I, I just well, like see, I don't think, listen, baseball is a sport that, baseball is not a playoff sport per se by itself. Baseball is a sport where the regular season has tremendous meaning. Uh, unlike some other sports where you get through the season to create a two-month playoff, baseball, the regular season does matter. Uh, a play, and, but multiple la- layers of playoffs in a, in a baseball season is anything less than you know, over 100 games. To me, that demeans everything. Again, but if you make the playoffs long and the regular season short, the you know, players won't agree to it because that's where the owners make their money. That's Remember... Well, we we know that, but but your solution didn't help solve the problem. You your now your plan is for the field, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. We could come up with a million plans for the field, but that doesn't solve the economic problem, which is one wants a short regular season and a long postseason. The other one wants a longer regular season and a shorter postseason. That's the difference. And payment. And, and, and how they split up the money is the issue because they don't remember this. It isn't even about this year so much. What they don't want to do is set a precedent that can be used for either side's advantage next year when they hope to negotiate a long-term collective bargaining agreement that will set the economics of the sport for a decade. That's what they're worried about. They're worried about something this year that will impact next year, and they are not going to allow that to happen because then it affects the game for the decade. And that's what they're not trying to do. They'll, they both realize they have an issue this year. And I'm telling you, rather than have their side take a, big, a bad deal this year, they've already showed you this, rather than their side take a bad deal this year that would hurt them for the next 10 years, they will not play this year. And that's a dangerous risk. And I think it's a much more dangerous risk than they think it is. Because I'm telling you, I don't think they believe it is a big risk. They think you guys will come back. I don't think you'll come back as fast. But they will, their biggest issues is the long-term collective bargaining agreement and anything that impacts that. And they won't do anything this year that can be used against them next year. Kevin in West Islip. What's up, Kevin? Oh, he's gone. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back. You know, the offer that the the new offer that the owners made is basically the same offer. I mean, uh, it's it's not anything new. It was completely dismissed out of hand by the players, and that's why these there'll be one legitimate move 
it'll probably be, if I had to guess, somewhere in the 72 game area. If I, if I, looking for a meeting of the minds in the middle somewhere, the games would be somewhere where the owners would like it to be, you know, somewhere around 50 or 60. The players would like it to be up in the 115. So I think it'll be more towards low 70s at the top. Um, and then it comes down to, seriously comes down to how the money would be paid and how much money we're talking about for the players. And then you can get into all the other things. But also a big part of this is there can be no language or no edicts. I mean, things like the DH and stuff, players don't care about that stuff. That's on the field stuff. They're fine with that stuff. This is about, this is about economics. This is, it's about economics, but more what it's about, it's about setting a precedent and doing nothing to damage the long-term negotiation that is in place for next year. Because then they set the tone for a decade. Then they set the future of the sport. And the players are looking to do dents into pools that the owners are trying to protect this year. Don't you think the players want to get into the gambling pool? They know that pool is going to be enormous. Don't you think they want to get into the streaming pool? Of course they do. And they want to get into the playoff pool. And the owners want to protect those pools. And the owners want to knock on the door of a salary cap. They've been trying to knock on that door forever. They're trying to knock on that door a little bit. Well, we're not calling it a cap, but, you know, in essence, what is it? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a salary cap. So all this goes on, and you have the guys who, on each side, who feel they're the protectors of the flame for each side. And... They're both very entrenched and very successful and very well fortified financially. But they're still playing with fire in that it'll take them a while to come back from this economically, and they will take hits. And unfortunately, the, the marginal player, the minor leaguers, the minor league cities, uh, the people who work at the ballparks, the uh, people who make a living at the ballparks, the people who work in peripheral businesses around the ballpark, they've all been clobbered. And nobody's in there arguing for them. Mike in Plainfield, what's up, Mike? How are things going? Good, what's happening? Hey, I, I, I was wondering, everyone's talking about the, nine, the 94 strike and, and the lead-up to that. I was like six or seven at the time. I remember being upset that baseball was gone, but I didn't understand what, what was going on. So I'm just curious, what was like the talk radio public opinion in the lead to that was it one of anger was it one of it was first of all first of all it was uh very divided a a perfect example on our show which was the mike and america show which was the the by far the biggest show uh dog was pro player i was uh dog was pro owner i was pro player i took the player side he took the owner side but more than that we both said how dare you even consider shutting the sport down Right. And we threatened them just like everyone else did. You'll pay forever if you threaten. And, and everyone told us, every guest we had on in baseball would say to us, neither side's crazy enough to shut the other. And we would have, the, and we would have, and we would have the combatants on. We would have the commissioner on. We would have Fear and Orza on. We would have all the combatants on. And 
they would and we they would and we, everyone would say the same thing. Oh, no one is going to shut the World Series down. No one's crazy enough to shut the World. Well, they shut the World Series down, and I'm telling you, they got very lucky. They got very lucky that baseball came back as well as it did. It did not come back immediately, but Sosa and McGuire brought baseball back there, and and they looked the other way. I mean, around here, you had a team that. Well, it really, I'm telling you. Well, the Yankees started. The Yankees started to get hot, and you're right. And they got very hot, and all of a sudden, they had a wonderful team. And then in '96, to go on and win a World Series. But the Sosa Maguire thing really raised the game back across the country. It was magical what went on with that, and everyone got into it. Uh, And thanks for the call. Everyone got into that, and it saved them dramatically. And they looked the other way because, I mean, listen, McGuire came to New York. Dog was on vacation. I do a show from City Field, when, uh, from Shea Stadium, when uh, McGuire's going for 50 homers. And the talk is that McGuire's sitting there doing a ton of interviews with Android, Andrew in his locker. And that's how bold they were in those days. I mean, he's got the stuff right in his locker. And remember, Orser in those days, as the lawyer, and you had, you know, you had Orser, you had Fear, you had Wiener. These guys, they fought and believed that it was their players' rights, their privacy and their rights, that you had no right, the media had no right, the owners had no right to have any interest in whether they do drugs or don't do drugs. That's their own private business. Except one thing, they were illegal in the United States, but it was Congress. Congress actually was the difference maker because they finally were going to go after baseball about it, and they went after it. They brought, uh, Harvey Waxman brought Bud in and beat the heck out of him, and that's when everything changed. But before that happened, they had brought baseball back, and when they brought it back, they sold their soul. They let them take as many drugs as they wanted, and they were taking drugs like crazy, and they were pounding out home runs like crazy. Ray in Connecticut, what's up, Ray? Mike, how are, how are, how are you, you good. and your children? Good. Everybody's good, thank you. What's happening? Uh, listen, um, to, to follow up on what you're talking about, um, yes, um, they, the, the Sosa and uh, McGuire home run derby, if you will, brought fans to the stand. But your point that, that Major League Baseball doesn't care, I, I, I want to kind of disagree with because it wasn't until 2006, 12 years later, all right, that Major League Baseball sold as many tickets as they had done in 1993. Uh, baseball cared dramatically. Listen, baseball never cares. You watch now. You think they care now. They're in the middle of a national crisis and you see how much they care about what uh, what their role is in in this sport. They'll shut this sport down in a second. So the idea that they care about what the public thinks, nonsense. They don't care. What I'm trying to say to is, as a business notion, they do care. I'm not saying that they care. They care more about what they care more about what happens in the collective bargaining agreement for the next ten years than they do anything else. So why not therefore reach an agreement now? 
They won't negotiate that deal this year. That deal isn't for this year. They will not negotiate this deal. Under this duress this year, they will not negotiate that deal because that deal is going to set baseball up for the next 10 years. They're not going to do it. All right. And and maybe they don't. And listen, do not think for a second they won't shut this sport down because they will. Listen, I I, I agree, but just one last observation. All right. You may disagree with my my statement, okay? What's that? I believe that owners in baseball think that the greatest um, thing that Bud Selig was able to do, all right, other than having Rob Manfred negotiate uh, labor contracts for him, okay, was to build new stadia. Okay? And, you know, the only stadium... Well, every, every, but every sport wants new stadiums always. I mean, that, that's part of it. Again, that's true, but my point is, you've got you to gotta pay the debt. You've got to well, service the debt. Well, you're, yeah, but you see, now you're all. But wait a second. You're, you're, a lot of time. Listen, they're going to always try to push towns to give them tax breaks. Every business does that. I get that, but they, they, they every business they they hold cities hostage. Every every business holds cities money, hostage. How much money did the Yankees borrow? Well, you see, but again, 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 you're getting specific now. This is not, now you're going from, and thanks for the call, but you're going all over the place. You're going to a Yankee issue now. And listen, in their municipalities, I am a firm believer in not one tax dollar and not one civic dollar for a stadium. They have enough money to buy their own stadiums and fund their own stadiums. So I've been a believer in that for a long time. But they do hold cities hostage, but they're not any different than anything else. Chase Manhattan will hold the city hostage. They'll say, you know what? We're going to take our business to Jersey if you don't give us this, 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 and this. They give it to them. That's how cities work. Cities steal businesses from other, from other cities. They steal jobs from other cities by giving breaks to other cities. They all do it. That's how cities operate. I mean, that's the world we live in. That's part of the world we live in. And sports is no different. I mean, Al Davis made a living doing it, working one city against the other and everything else. They all do it. I would not, in this climate, when they have so much money now, I would not do that anymore. And most, most cities now, when they put a stadium tax thing on the referendum to be voted on, it gets voted down. What doesn't get voted down is charging people a hotel tax so that the people who come into your city. In Dallas, I went in there during the Super Bowl. I looked at my hotel bill. Now, I had an expensive hotel room when I was staying at the Super Bowl. I admit that. I had a $100 a day bill for the stadium tax bill on my hotel bill. I mean, they were making anyone who came through the town pay for it. And we had no say in that, but you know what? Tough luck. We don't have to go to their town if we don't want to. But that, those are the kind of things that they have done in recent years. Oh, put it on every hotel room. You know, instead of putting it on each person. Now, very hard now in areas that are heavily taxed. Like in, they couldn't get it through for the Nassau Coliseum here. They tried to do it. They put the vote at 6 o'clock in the morning, tried to, you know, on, a, on an August morning, tried to get it through. Still couldn't get it through. People don't want their taxes raised. So now they won't, most stadium referendums go down. In the old days they didn't, now they do. But the idea of, hey, we're just asking you to let us put a tax, a $10 or a 2% or a 5% 
tax you know thing on uh, you know surcharge on the hotel room. They don't care about that because it doesn't affect them. They live in that town. Dom in Westchester, what's up, Dom? On side, it's both sides. Hello. Uh, let's go. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Dom. Go ahead quickly. All right, Max in Houston. What's up, Max? Uh, hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Um, I kind of want to do what you do when I grow up. So uh, I was thinking, since uh, it's summertime here, I was thinking about the NFL and the draft that recently took place. Um, I remember all the backlash after Jalen Hurts got drafted to the Eagles in the second round. Uh, here's the thing. Carson Wentz should actually be uh, they're grateful that they take the chance on Jalen Hurts. This sounds crazy, but uh, a year ago, like two days, or a year Max, ago. Max, 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 I'm sorry, but listen, you're calling from Houston to a New York station, and you're talking about a Philadelphia sports issue. What's going on? Uh, I just thought, okay. I just thought I had a good take. Well, thanks. Listen, give me, a, give, me, give me something a little more. Next time you call, give me something a little that my audience might give a darn about, all right, in the middle of this thing right now. Calling from, say you're calling from Houston and then giving me a take on something in Philadelphia. Richard in Manhattan, go ahead, Richard. Hi, Mike. Mike, in Willie Mays' book, 24. He, oh my God! Wait, now wait a second. What is this? Oh, in his new book. Okay, you're reading. Book. You're, 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 you're reading. You're reading. You. Well, that that's a tape pro, uh, promotion, but uh, but uh, I have not read the book. Um, go ahead, but, but, but okay. Now wait, wait a second. What are we talking about now? What year? Okay, the controversial sixty-two. Did he, should he? Uh, I I I would have been. Uh, yeah, and Mays. He. Willie Mays hung out his own teammates and said I would have been in the locker room and showered by the time the throw would have hit the plate. That's right. And that is a nasty... He said a loop pulled up at the... Hey, hey. You see, the bottom line is it was a great play by Maris. And, all right, would Mays... First of all, that's Willie throwing his own teammates under the bus. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, wait, wait a second. Did yeah. he or did he not? Yeah, maybe. Oh, well. and, 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 Willie, and Willie could have hit in that series, which he didn't do in the seven-game series. Matter of fact, Willie Mays never hit in the World Series his whole life. And go back and look. Willie Mays played at 71 World Series at bats, never hit a World Series home run. Mike, if there was sports talk radio, game five in the 64 World Series, top of the 10th, McCarver up, Pete Mickelson, a right hand. Uh, of course, listen, yes. And listen, listen, because it's a different, it was a different. Hey, hey, Richard, what happened in 1962? Who pitched to Willie McCovey? Ross Terry. And what did he pitch? What, which arm did he throw with? Left hand to a right hand to a left-handed hitter. To a great to a great left-handed hitter. Correct. Okay, and he hit a P. Correct to Richardson. Which, if he doesn't catch, but they'll talk. Sports radio, but sports radio, what would have happened to Yogi and Ralph and uh, Casey in those days? Well, listen, it's it, it would have happened the same thing that happens now. Thanks for the call. Okay, would we have killed Yogi for not start? Would we have killed Willie? I mean, uh, would we have killed Casey for not starting Whitey Ford? 
In 60? Yes. Did Casey do screwy things like that? Yes. I don't know why he... I still, to this day, don't know what the explanation was why he didn't pitch Whitey. And a lot of people, including the higher-ups, thought that... Well, they thought Casey was getting old anyway, but they also thought that it cost him the World Series because Whitey was untouchable. And we know what happened. Is it strange that... Hey, how strange is it that Johnny Keene leaves Bob Gibson in in the ninth inning when he gives up home runs to Phil Lins and Cleet Boyer, and he's still on the mound at 7-5. How would that be in, the day, in this day and age? It was a different world in those days. They, they, they did things differently. They didn't do bullpen. There was no automatic bullpen in those days. There was no lefty-righty. There was no automatic move like there is now. Now you have the automatic rote move to the closer, the automatic rote move to the left-hander versus the right-hander, the automatic setup move. You didn't have that in those days. It was a different world. They did not, they did not yank starting pitchers in those days, and they did not treat you know, bullpen matchups the same way. Is some of that stuff crazy when you think about it? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, some of that stuff is, but guys had roles, and they did their roles. And as Keen said, I made a commitment to, I made a commitment to Gibson's heart. Now, what would he have done if a couple of the guys got on base and Manley got up in that inning? You know what? He would have left Gibson in. And Manley hit a monster three-run home run off him in the fifth inning. It went 460 feet. But he would have left guys in. I mean, he believed in giving the starting pitcher. I mean, he believed in Bob Gibson. And that's, what, that's what, how it was. It was a different world, though, completely different world. And would a sports talk been wild in those days? How would sports talk have been in 1951 with a shot heard around the world? Go through that inning. And what happened in that inning? And the strategy that went on. I mean, that's, that's classic stuff that would have been fun to talk about. Absolutely. Stephen Northport, real quick, what's up? If baseball isn't played this year, can the owners decertify the union? I don't... Uh, that's... I, I don't believe so, but I, that's beyond my... That's, that's, I, I don't know what grounds, and I'm not a union lawyer, so I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know that law. So I, I couldn't okay. answer that to you, Steve. I'm not... I, you got to ask a, a, a lawyer that question. I don't know the answer to uh, you, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know one. And thanks for the call, but I don't know one. What grounds they would be able to do that? Um, I, I don't think they would be able to do it. It doesn't seem logical to me. What grounds they would be able to decertify it uh, as a you know that that they would no longer deal with that negotiating arm i don't i don't think so because the players have a right to vote for the negotiating arm that they want so i don't see any grounds that they would have to do that i i, I don't think so i think if that were possible they would have done it years ago or at least threatened it years ago but i i'm not a labor attorney i can't answer that question to be honest with you all right casamigos tequila as always uh, brings you the program brought to you by those who drink it uh have a good monday night we'll see you tomorrow 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 